Good morning, I'm Allison Michaels with The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, July 8th. James is out, but I'll be here instead with the day's top headlines. Here are three stories that you need to know today. Number one. President Trump's relentless attacks on the security of mail voting are driving suspicion among GOP voters toward absentee ballots. And that's alarming Republican strategists who say it could undercut their own candidates, including Trump himself. My colleagues Amy Gardner and Josh Dossey report that in several primaries this spring, Democratic voters have embraced mail ballots in far larger numbers than Republicans. And when GOP campaigns do urge their supporters to vote by mail, the campaigns are hearing from more and more voters who say they do not trust absentee ballots. In one particularly vivid example, a group of Michigan voters held a public burning of their absentee ballot applications last month. The growing Republican antagonism toward voting by mail comes even as the Trump campaign is launching a major absentee ballot program in every competitive state. The president, however, has been launching nearly daily Twitter attacks on mail balloting and leveling many unsubstantiated allegations. He has claimed without evidence that it will lead to widespread fraud and that foreign governments will try to dump millions of forged ballots into U.S. elections. He has accused Democrats of using the pandemic to expand mail balloting for political gain. Veteran Republican campaign operatives who note the party has long had strong absentee ballot programs in states like Arizona and Florida have cringed at Trump's comments on the subject. Trump's campaign spokesman, on the other hand, said the president is critical of universal mail balloting, not the kind of absentee voting that's available to a narrow group of qualified voters, so voters who may be older or out of the country on Election Day, for example. But... In 29 states, including Florida, where Trump himself voted by mail this year, there is no such distinction. Any voter is allowed to cast a ballot by mail. Number two. Amid a resurgent pandemic and rising hospitalizations, President Trump pitted the United States against the world on Tuesday. The Post's Joshua Partlow reports that the Trump administration formally notified the United Nations that it is withdrawing the United States from the WHO. The move prompted swift criticism from Democrats and showed Trump's impulse to isolate the U.S. even during a public health crisis. Meanwhile, FBI Director Christopher Wray blasted China for its alleged efforts to steal U.S. technology. Wray said that China is trying to penetrate companies that are researching how to defeat the virus. The FBI director's remarks came as cases and hospitalizations in the United States continued to mount. More than 50 hospitals in Florida said their ICUs are full. In another hotspot, Arizona reported 117 deaths on Tuesday, a daily record for the state where ICU beds neared capacity. Texas canceled its annual state fair, the longest-running fair in the country, as more than 8,000 Texans were hospitalized on Monday. In all, the United States has reported nearly 3 million confirmed virus cases to date, meaning nearly one in every 110 Americans has been found to have the virus, with large swaths of the country not having been tested. The United States has also had more than twice as many reported deaths as any other country. The U.S. accounts for nearly a quarter of all virus-related deaths worldwide. Trump has repeatedly complained that not enough attention is being paid to the country's death rate. Trump recently tweeted that, quote, we have the lowest mortality rate in the world. 
Scientists, meanwhile, say many countries have lower death rates than the United States. The nation's top infectious disease expert, Anthony Fauci, said Tuesday that although the fatality rate of the coronavirus has dropped, Americans should not be complacent. The lower mortality rate is a result of two factors, Fauci said. The country has gotten better at treating people through therapies that work in the advanced stages of the disease. And two, the average age of those getting infected has dropped by about 15 years. Number three, the nurses and aides at the Southeastern Veterans Center in the suburbs of Philadelphia had watched so much go wrong since the start of the coronavirus pandemic. The communal dining that lasted into April, the nights that feverish patients were left to sleep beside roommates who weren't yet sick. The nurses finally got N95 masks weeks into the crisis and just before administrators stopped staffing the isolation rooms because too many people were feared infected. But the Post's Debbie Sensiper and Sean McCauley report that what worried some nurses most was something they called the COVID cocktail. They used that moniker to describe the widespread off-label use of one of the anti-malarial drugs touted by President Trump in March as a potentially game-changing treatment for COVID-19. Interviews, emails, and medical records obtained by the Washington Post show that for more than two weeks in April, a drug regimen, including hydroxychloroquine, was routinely dispensed at the struggling center. It was often given to patients who had not been tested for COVID-19 and to those who suffered from medical conditions known to raise the risk of dangerous side effects. Though precise estimates vary, the State Department of Military and Veterans Affairs said about 30 residents received the drug. Several nursing home staff members placed the number higher. The Chester County coroner, who reviewed the medical records for some of those who died, said that at least 11 residents who had received the hydroxychloroquine treatment had not been tested for COVID-19. The drug regimen appeared to conflict with guidance from the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA issued an emergency use authorization for the drugs in late March, but the FDA stressed then that the drug should be administered only during clinical trials, in hospitals providing careful heart monitoring, and only after detailed discussions with patients and families about the risks. At this nursing home, the treatment was given over the objections of some nurses, at times with little knowledge among patients' families and largely hidden from lawmakers who'd been probing the matter. In May, the state suspended leadership at the center after the Philadelphia Inquirer reported on the use of hydroxychloroquine. The center and the two state agencies responsible for oversight have released little information about what transpired. The Department of Military and Veterans Affairs has confirmed the use of the drug, but has not offered details about what led doctors on site to decide to use it. Nurses who had spent years caring for veterans and their spouses at Southeastern said they raised concerns. Without COVID-19 testing, they said, potentially virus-free patients in their 80s and 90s were at risk of being dosed with an unproven drug they didn't need, or worse yet, could hurt them. The center stopped administering the drug around April 22nd. Earlier that week, a nationwide study of 368 hospitalized Veterans Affairs patients with COVID-19 reported that the death rate was higher for those treated with hydroxychloroquine. The home's interim commandant, who took over after the treatment ended, declined to comment to the post. The center's medical director and the home's commandant at the time also did not return calls to our reporters. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, July 8th. Stay safe and thanks so much for listening. Thank you.